0: Let me start uh, by thanking uh, David Bell for opening the Word to us this morning, and uh, appreciate that. That gave me a chance to have a vacation this week. So, um, thank you for doing uh, my work for me, and we always are blessed by those who open the Word. Well, God used Moses, when he grew up, to write the first five books of the Bible, called the Pentateuch. Pentateuch, pent, referring to five. Pentateuch, first five books of the Bible. And given how foundational those books are to the rest of the redemption story that the Bible presents, it would actually be hard to find a more significant servant of God in the centuries before Christ came than Moses. I mean, this, this man was extraordinary in the way that God used him. But his life story is more about God's work than about his own work. And it's only by the grace of God that Moses even survived infancy, let alone the many other crises and threats that he faced throughout his 120 years of life. In fact, if you read through Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, um, I often find myself saying, now, who would want to go into ministry? Who would want to go into any kind of leadership? Because there's so many problems and so many difficulties, that, and, and not just difficulties on the outside, but Moses' difficulties that he brought on himself. But God led him providentially through all of that. Well, Moses' life breaks down pretty easily into, into thirds. Uh, Forty years um, That were basically in in Egypt, 40 years uh, in the wilderness and the desert, and then 40 years going back to rescue the Israelites and then lead them uh, toward the promised land. And so we're going to take up those first 40 years uh, tonight. Tonight, we look at the first third of his life. I've called it rescued to lead in. First, we're going to see that Moses was drawn out. In fact, that's his whole name comes from being drawn out of the water. We're going to read about that in Exodus 2. He was hidden by his parents, but he was rescued by the providence of God. He was drawn out. Second, he was called out. Here he is hiding once again uh, in the wilderness, a fugitive, and God speaks to him from the burning bush and commissions him To go back to egypt to rescue israel and then to do that god also empowered him moses was reluctant to go back in fact reluctant probably is a soft term like i think the first response of going back to egypt when you're already a fugitive would be no way that's the last place on earth i'm ever going to go he was reluctant on a number of levels but god empowered him Uh, to do what God had called him to do, and Moses was obedient. Moses obeyed the Lord, and God used him to do actually the impossible. He was drawn out, he was called out, he was empowered, and that's how we're going to look at this first 40 years of his life. So, first, consider with me that Moses rescued the lead, was drawn out. He was hidden and rescued, When Moses was born, it had been 350 years since Jacob and his family had moved to Egypt to join Joseph. whom God had put in power to preserve the children of Israel. There were 70 of them at the beginning, but they grew so numerous that the current pharaoh of Egypt at the time that Moses was born considered the Israelites to be a great Threat. We read about it in Exodus 1, verses 8 through 12. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities. Python and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad, and the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. Well, Pharaoh decides to do something about that. In verse 22 of chapter 1, Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. So, Moses was among those marked for death before he was even born. And I couldn't help but think about another infant that was born who was going to be the hope of redeeming his people, the rescue of his people. And as soon as Herod the king found out that this infant was born, and this infant's name was Jesus, as soon as he found out Jesus the Messiah had been born, he... He went to make sure he killed him. He heard he was born in Bethlehem, so he went to kill every baby in Bethlehem. And many children died that night, but Jesus was not among them. God rescued him, drew him out, and actually sent him to Egypt for him to be safe. Moses was among those marked for death before he was even born, but God rescued him. And we learn about that as we come into Exodus chapter 2. Now, a man from the house of Levi went and took his wife, as his wife, a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes, daubed it with bitumen and pitch, and she put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank." I can't imagine how scary that would be. His sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. So really, like God, we can't hide him any longer. We're going to hide him by the river. It's up to you to make the next move. Now, the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrew's children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, that's Miriam, Moses' sister, shall I go and call you a nurse for the Hebrew woman to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. So Moses' mother got to be the nurse for Moses even after Pharaoh had adopted him. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for him and for me, and I will give you your wages. So she got paid to be a mom. Okay? So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, because she said I drew him out of the water. Now, Hebrews talks about the people of faith, people of the promise. And we read in Hebrews eleven twenty three 23, by faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because he saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. They didn't turn him over to be killed. So we see active faith, And we see God's sovereign providence at work. By Pharaoh's decree, Moses was slated to be killed at birth, but he survived. His parents had faith in God, and they did what they could do to hide him. But it was God who saved him. You know, God has this amazing sense of humor. He uses Pharaoh's own daughter. Pharaoh, who made this wicked decree, used his own daughter to rescue Moses and to rear him in the royal court, preparing him for his future work. In Acts 7, 21 to 22, Stephen in his sermon refers to this. He says, when he was exposed, when Moses was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. That's the providence of God. This boy should never have survived, and yet God placed him right into the court of Pharaoh where one day he would need to confront the king himself. But having grown up in royal splendor, would Moses ever be willing to leave the wealth and power that was his in the Egyptian court? Well, I think there may be a key to why one day he would make the right choice. Remember who his nurse was as a child growing up, his own mother who feared the Lord. There would come a day that Moses had to decide which kingdom he would serve. And it's no doubt his mother's influence of teaching him about the Lord that helped him make his choice. Sometimes we we underestimate the influence and the power of those very early years as moms and dad, the time that we spend teaching our children about God, teaching them what He's like, teaching them what it's like to serve Him, those things don't leave them. I'm reminded of John Newton, uh, who we know, as he grew up, became quite wicked before he was saved, but but up until the time he was seven years old, he was reared by his God-fearing mother. She died. His father was a sea captain. He ended up spending then the years after that at sea, and he became very wicked. He became a slave trader, um, introduced to all kinds of things he never should have been part of. At the age of 27, he started to remember what his mother had taught him, and then he ended up trusting in Jesus. And he was amazingly saved, And after preparing for ministry, he spent some time doing that. He became really a phenomenal pastor, as well as one that wrote a lot of poetry set to music, a lot of hymns that we sing to this very day, including Amazing Grace. God's grace is amazing. His providence in leading us through things that should have killed us and didn't, and bringing us to where we need to be. God had rescued Moses for a purpose. Remember that behind God's providence in your life is a plan for your life. So it's important for us to to pay attention to the kinds of things that God is doing. In what ways have you seen the sovereign providence of God in your life? What are things that were out of your control but in God's control that He used to shape your life and direct your life? How have you seen that in the lives of your friends and your family, as well as your own life? And how can the examples of God's providence, whether they're in the Scripture or in church history or in your own history, help you in the challenges you face today? There are going to be impossible things, seemingly impossible things that come our way in the days and weeks and months and years to come. And yet we know the God who works things according to the counsel of His will, and has everything at his disposal to make sure that it happens. Moses was drawn out. His very name reminds us of the providence of God in his life and rescuing him. He was hidden but rescued. And then he was called out. He was hiding, and we're going to find out why he was hiding, and he was commissioned by God. In Exodus 2, beginning in verse 11, we read, one day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people... And looked on their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. Notice the the text in in Exodus 2 talks about Moses identifying with his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? He answered, who made you a prince and judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid, and he thought, surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. This is the second time. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. At that well, he would end up meeting his wife. He would end up meeting his father-in-law. He would end up staying there and taking care of sheep, shepherding sheep for a number of years, but he was a fugitive in hiding. Exodus tells the story that Hebrews actually reveals his deepest heart motives in what he did. According to Hebrews eleven twenty four 24 to 26, by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. In other words, it was his... Sense of connection with God's people that led him to do what he did and that put him in the predicament that he was in. He he identified with them. He could have just said, "Well, that's not my problem. I'm in the court now. I don't have to worry about uh, the Israelites." But he had a sense of identity with them. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Moses had a healthy fear of God. Moses knew that the God of Israel. Moses knew that the way he lived his life couldn't be just indulging himself in the riches of Egypt, but had to be uh, in a way that identified him with the people of God. Now, God rewards our heart loyalty even when we misstep in our actions. Moses' killing of the Egyptian rose from his loyalty to God's people and his placing God's people over the comforts of his royal position. But his rash reaction also put him in serious danger. That danger, and here we see the providence of God, would drive him into the wilderness. And it was there in the wilderness where God would meet him. He had become a fugitive from Pharaoh's wrath but he ended up in the very place God wanted him to be. Now, I think sometimes we think that if we make a mistake or if we do the wrong thing in the crisis, even when we're trying to serve the Lord, that somehow God is done with us. You cannot read your Bible and come away with that conclusion. The reality is that there's very little that we do that's totally perfect and pristine. I don't know if there's anything that doesn't have some kind of mix to it. Even when we're trying to do the right thing, we often don't quite do the right thing. There's some wrong mixed in there. But God rewards the faith in Him. God rewards the reliance on Him and the loyalty to Him And God actually ended up using even Moses' rash response for good. God's providence is that powerful. God's will is that strong. You being used by God, you and I fulfilling His purpose, is not dependent on how perfectly we do everything. Because if it were, none of us not one of us would ever succeed at it. Now, this, isn't, this is not saying it doesn't matter what you do. It's not saying, oh, well, you know, sin all I want and there is remission. It doesn't matter what I, not, No, not that. But it is saying, don't, don't be so fearful. Don't be so hesitant that you have to be perfect for God to actually use you because God has only used one perfect person In all the history of the human race. His name is Jesus. Everybody else is imperfect. Everybody else made mistakes, even like Moses did. Well, we read in Exodus 3 that Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. This area is where Sinai is. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight. Why, the bush is not consumed. And Moses said, I already read that. I was going to read it again just for emphasis. Anyway, when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. I mean, it's weird enough to see a bush that's burning, that's not burning up and then to hear a voice coming out of it that's really unusual then he said do not come near take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground and he said i am the god of your father the god of abraham the god of isaac and the god of jacob and moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at god then the lord said I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey." to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. From a personal safety standpoint, Egypt would have been the last place on earth Moses would ever want to go. If he went back, his only hope of escaping death at the hands of the Egyptians was God. The same God who had saved him in the first place from the Egyptians. God was sending Moses to accomplish an impossible task, freeing an entire nation from their taskmasters who had no, no desire whatsoever to let them go. It was an impossible task that is impossible for human beings. The reality is what's impossible for man is not impossible for God. It's his stock and trade. The whole history of redemption is full of God's doing the impossible to bring about his saving plan. We saw it in the life of Abraham. It was impossible for him to have children, but he had Isaac. We saw it in the life of Joseph. He should have been killed. Instead, he was enslaved. He's down in Egypt. He becomes a prince in Egypt. He rescues the whole nation of Israel, and now we see it in the life of Moses. The whole history of The gospel history, the good news that we see presented in the whole epic story of the Bible, it is one impossible thing after another. You know, think about it. It's impossible for sinners to become completely holy and blameless before God, but God is doing just that. It's impossible for this broken world to be restored But God is doing just that. It's impossible that there would actually be a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells, and where there's no sin and there's no death. That's impossible. We can't even imagine what it would be like. Yet God is doing just that. To make disciples of all nations, of all ethnicities, out of sinners and rebels against God seems an impossible mission. But by the power of God, it has happened over and over again for centuries now. You and I are called out for this very purpose. We are called out and commissioned to make disciples of all ethnicities. And you look at our world, you look at how messed up it is, you, you look at people's devotion to sin, you look at our own struggle with sin, and you say, this is impossible. How is this ever going to happen? It's, it's too big a task. We're too small a voice. Well, it's going to happen because God has decreed it will happen. And God has given us this purpose. It's his plan. So in what ways are you stepping out in faith to obey God in your life, even in the face of the impossible start stop debating about whether it's possible or not and just start asking what does God want me to do and let him work out the details and let him bring the victories and the third thing that we see is that Moses was empowered we learned this from Exodus 4 he was reluctant understandably but he was obedient in Exodus 4 And Moses answered, and behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? He said, a staff. And He said, throw it on the ground. So, he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. That was as hard to do as... Actually, the first part was easy, throw your staff on the ground. The second part was hard, grab the snake by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. That they believed that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak. And When he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, Put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak. When he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign. Remember, a sign is a miracle with a message. They may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground, and the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on dry ground. We read toward the end of Exodus 4, then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders and the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that He had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. You think about that, that is the appropriate response to the God who has seen our affliction and has done something about it. That's why we gather for worship each Lord's Day. We are gathering to worship the God who sees. We are gathering to worship the God who does something about what he sees, the God who rescues his people. The suffering of the Israelites was real. And by the way, it was going to get worse before it got better. And the danger was real for Moses and Aaron. The hope of release seemed impossible, but God showed the people through these miraculous signs that he empowered Moses to perform, that nothing, absolutely nothing, is too hard for God. And before God is done with Pharaoh... Even the proud king of Egypt will bow to his will. In fact, over and over again, God will say, I want you to do this, that they may know that I am the Lord. And the Egyptians are introduced to who Yahweh is, who the Lord is. The Israelites were introduced to who God was. and, And Moses himself got to see God at work in amazing ways. So this evening, in what ways are you reluctant to do what you know God wants you to do? You know, if I could just ask the first question, like, what, what God do you want me to do as I read your word, as you, as you give me direction, sometimes it's prompting the Spirit, what is it that God wants you to do? Now, sometimes it, it's easy to say yes to God other times you start thinking of all the reasons you should say no so so it's very likely that there are things that God has called you to do that you're reluctant to do let me encourage you to lean into those things when you know God is calling you to do them what evidence of the power of God do you see in your life and in the lives of the believers you know realize that You know, Christianity, if you you reduce Christianity to just doing certain ceremonies, if you reduce Christianity to just keeping up with a religious week, like, okay, on Sunday at this time I go to this service, and then I go to that service, if that's all Christianity is, then, you know, I might as well be fishing, okay? If Christianity, though, is power, if, 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 if this is about a relationship with God who is all-powerful, who actually works in and through the lives of people, then sign me up. And this is exactly what God had called Moses to do, is to to obey him. And and as he obeyed him, though he was nervous about it and reluctant about it, and he did a lot of debating with God about what he's going to do, God empowered him and used him. Moses was rescued to lead. He was drawn out. He was called out. He was empowered. The reality is that that you and I have survived to this point of our history for a divine purpose as well. Learn from Moses that the God we serve does the impossible, to bring about His plan. Your job and mine is to lean the full weight of our trust in the Lord and see where He takes us. So, that's the first 40 years. We get into the second 40 next Sunday night. Let's pray. God, thank you for your kindness, and thank you, Lord, for these amazing biographies of people of the promise. Uh, Lord, they are were people of of weakness and conflict and difficulty and danger, um, dangers and, and situations like what we face and, and also greater than what we face. And yet, Lord, you use them as they trusted in you. So God, I pray for our church family, I pray for my brothers and sisters here. I pray for myself. Lord, help us trust you no matter what. Help us obey you no matter what. Help us walk where you want us to walk and go where you want us to go. Help us, help us value and treasure the privilege of belonging to you and being part of your redemption plan. And God, we know the days are coming when we will rejoice and be amazed at what you have done using even us. For it's in Christ's name.